Hi friends, and welcome to the Four Everyday Disciples podcast. I'm Giles. And I'm Zach. Well, Zach, I'm excited to be here today with you on this inaugural podcast. The Four Everyday Disciples podcast is one in which we're going to share a lot about what it means to be a disciple in the everyday. I mean, that can be in your work, uh, that could be with your family, that could be, you know, in your community with your neighbors. But really, we're all called to be disciples in every day because we're all called to be obedient to the Great Commission. The focus for today's podcast is to get to know Zach and I a little bit. So we're both going to share a bit about who we are, about our passion for discipleship, how we met, and maybe even give you a few practical ways in which you can go forward this week and start you know, being that everyday disciple. So let's get started. So first, I'm going to ask... Zach, a little bit about you. Like, tell us a bit about who you are. Uh, well, my name is Zach. I'm an associate pastor here in Western Pennsylvania. And what that means at my church is I'm the children's, the youth, and the family life pastor. So uh, I get to wear a lot of hats, get to do a lot of things, dip my toes in a lot of different ministry. Um, grew up in the church, uh, and then I felt a call to ministry probably about my second year of college, uh, where I met my wife. We got married uh, when we graduated in 2012, and then we moved back to her hometown, started working at her home church, and that's where I've been for the last 10 years, um, doing ministry, learning what it means to lead people um, in discipleship and out of discipleship and all sorts of ways that the church tries to teach people about Jesus, but that's where uh, that's where I am right now. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh you sort of wear all hats, right? That's what yeah. I was hearing you talk about. Absolutely. Was, <laughs> was the church is not like is not a mega church, and so yep. you sort of have to fill the gaps. Mm-hmm. Now you have an interesting uh, dynamic there. Uh, I'm assuming that other people that are in pastoral positions maybe have this same kind of dynamic, especially in the smaller churches. But tell us a bit about your relationship to the lead pastor. So he's my father-in-law, and um, at first, when we got married, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do after I had graduated, um, didn't know if I was going to go to seminary or or what, he came to me and said, and he's been the pastor here for 30-plus years, he came and said, what do you want to do? I said, I I don't know. He said, why don't you come and intern for us for a while and just figure out what you're going to do and maybe instead of spending all that money at seminary right now, you know, see what, see what it's like to get some practical training. So I thought that sounded good. And, uh, and it was the only option for ministry at that moment that I had. So I took it and, um, it's been 10 years. It feels like it's a 10 year internship, although the titles have changed a little bit, but, um, and the responsibilities have changed, but he asked me, what, what do you want to do in church as far as ministry goes? And I said, I, I don't know. I know I don't want to be a youth pastor. I know that. Mm. Um, but I would like to be able to step into any role if I'm at a church that needs anything. And so I definitely have gotten that experience, <laughs> been part of everything. And then three years ago, I became the youth pastor. So <laughs> joke's on me. Well, you get to, you were sort of trial by fire into a lot of situations, right? Yeah, it's true. I don't think that you got formal training on how to uh, interact, say, with elders or individuals who have been in the church for a long time. So I imagine that that was quite a bit of a shock as a young guy going into an established church. Yeah, I I had no idea what this side of it really was like, even though, you know, I've been in church all my life. It is definitely a different 
view being in a leadership position in a church than it is um, just attending. So. so that's good to hear, Zach. I, I'm excited about what God has planned for you in that and the journey on that. But I wanted to ask you, how did you actually what's your disciple journey been like or even your how did you get interested in discipleship? Um, so, well, growing up in church, you know, discipleship is it, it's a common word and um, everybody talks about it. And I had been through a couple of, I don't know, programs, ministries, discipleship events. I don't know how you, how you what you call it. I still don't know what you call it. But um, to varying degrees, you know, some are more like a Bible study. Some are more like um, similar to intentional discipleship making like we're going to be talking about here. Um, and I know that God God works on you whenever you whenever you seek to grow closer to him, even even if it's somewhat more shallow than other types of discipleship making, he he will grow you. So um, when I heard or was <laughs> accosted by a certain someone about uh, this intentional discipleship making Kaleo, um, I was a little afraid because I knew that if I, because uh, I, I was comfortable and I knew if I asked God to work on me, he would, because <laughs> he does that. He does that sort of thing. But about two summers ago, um, I was preaching and after I get done preaching, then it's my job to go shake hands at the door and uh, as every, as people leave. And so I was shaking hands, going through the line and all of a sudden this, this, uh, this person turns to me and, uh, and I looked up the word a cost because I wanted to make sure I was getting this right. And it means to aggressively uh, confront. So, so I was aggressively confronted. My hand was shaken powerfully. And uh, and Giles, you had this um, smile on your face, really. And you were like, I really want to talk to you about um, about my uh, discipleship ministry that you and your wife have have started and been been growing um, for the last several years. So we talked a couple weeks later, and then we just developed this um, kind of this relationship where you were just saying, just let, let's practice a little bit what it's going to look like, just get comfortable feeling, and let's just, and then you just wanted to talk and just hear from me what was going on in my ministry. And that was like so refreshing that even though I was a little worried about what might happen on this journey, um, how God would move me, even though I was a little scared of that, um, it was so refreshing to hear um, someone just be interested and want to just talk and then also point everything back to Christ and, and consider doing ministry in a way that was, I mean, as sad or weird as this might be to say it, different than what I'd been experiencing the last 10, <laughs> the last 10 years of just doing ministry one way, you know, just programs and weekly things. And that's where you, that's what you do. But, but this is something different. And so it was at that point, um, the last couple of years before we talked, like I was just at a point where I needed something new. Um, I was feeling very stuck. And, uh, and I think the Holy Spirit was saying, here's, here's a breath of fresh air and something that you can actually do for the rest of your ministry. That's going to make an impact intentional disciple making. So, um, that's how I got involved. I had been through the program, been through the, uh, and now, and now uh, my wife and I together, we did it. And now we have started our own, um, our own small discipleship groups and we're working with um we're working on leading our first groups too so oh that's so so incredible and i remember that time fondly as well yeah. i know i can be pretty aggressive sometimes in my desire and passion for discipleship and one of the things was as you were giving a sermon that day i recall um on the psalms and mm -hmm. uh, psalm one and two and i just heard your heart and 
I turned to my wife, Allison, and I said, this guy, he's got the right posture. This is someone who I think would be really interested in discipleship because I just felt like you were ready for that. And I could just hear your passion for the kingdom. And so I wanted to be a part of that. So that's why you got a little bit harassed. So uh, my wife, well, thanks. Thanks. yeah, she, <laughs> she said, go do it. Right. So that's how we got introduced. But I also want to share that I think that the process of us going through it together, we both grew, all four of us grew so much in that process. And just to see the transformation within you and Cassie, your wife, was quite incredible for us. But we felt that we really were stretched and grew through the process as well, which tends to be a part of every discipleship group that we have ever done is, yes, of course, the people that are in it grow but and are transformed by the Holy Spirit, but we as well are. So that's sort of always our motivation or our prompting for others is, hey, go disciple after you've been discipled, because there's so much growth and experience in that as well. And so I'm excited to hear about Cassie and you doing discipleship. I know you guys, this is your first time training up others. So I'm sure that there's been some trials and some successes, but those are things that we'll be talking about in the future about how those things look as we disciple others so that all of our listeners can be getting some ideas that, hey, just because we're doing this podcast doesn't mean we're experts in every area and we run into uh, (laughs) things as well as we are discipling. It's not a set process because it's relational. So every group has a different kind of dynamic. Um, Groups are uh, different. We're dealing with individuals and we're dealing with transformation. So there's going to be a lot of different kind of things that happen, but we'll try to address some of those as we go through this podcast and as you're on this journey with us. So that's, uh, thanks for sharing a bit about yourself, Zach. Um, It was, was, it's always good to sort of recap. You were precise. And now I know as you ask me some questions, I'll try to be as precise as you are, but as you experienced with eight months with me, I can talk. So I, (laughs) I don't have a issue in that area. Well, that's good. This is a, a talking uh, talking podcast. So. Uh, so let me switch it around a little bit and ask you, Giles, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, well, I'll sh- I'm going to start my journey maybe back when God called me into ministry. Uh, I was 40 years old. My wife and I were midlife, and we were pursuing uh, different professional careers. And God called us to be missionaries in Kenya. Well, that was a shock because that was not something that I had in any part of my plan. Uh, I had never even thought about ministry or missions as being something that I would pursue. I had been a church member for a very long time, but I just didn't see myself serving in any kind of way or even feeling that I would be equipped to do that. But through the prompting of the Holy Spirit and God opening many doors through that process. My wife and I were missionaries for three years in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, we loved our experience there. We realized that there were something, some areas of our life that we were not mature and grown in. We certainly realize that now. <laughs> and I just wish we had been a bit better equipped for that. Um, but, you know, you are where you're at when you're at. And so God used that time for a lot of growth for us. And I think it sort of was the motivator to move into disciple making. Um, I didn't really know much about that. So I'm gonna just sort of jump here and talk about 
what ended up happening. So we came back from Kenya. We ended up getting involved in another nonprofit, but then moving into this concept of disciple making. I had started to attend um, TCMI, which is a seminary school. Uh, It is an international seminary school, but I attended here in Indianapolis. And as I did that, I was in my first class and we were having our face-to-face meeting because most of it's online, but we were having a face-to-face meeting. And my professor, Dr. David Rokup from Ohio, he starts sharing about discipleship because that was the first class that I was in. And as I was listening, my friend Matt um, and I were like, ooh, I think we need to be (laughs) doing this. Mm. But we didn't know a practical way to do it, but it certainly sparked something within us that God was saying this is that you need to go and make disciples. Now, we really hadn't thought about that before. I hadn't thought about that before because I didn't even know what that would look like. And so as I was listening to this, I was I was in this class and he was going all these theories of discipleship, how important discipleship is, how we should be making disciples. My main thought was, well, how did we do that? Because it sounds like something I know we should be doing, but I hadn't really experienced it in a church environment. I hadn't experienced it in any part of my Christian faith. And so for me, it was really a question of how do we do this? So we ended up meeting this guy out in Ohio named Micah Oder, and he was working at a church out there, and he shared uh, a disciple-making process with us, which we have now modified a bit, but he shared this with us so that we had a practical way to get started, Matt and I. So Matt sort of rolled it out because he was on staff at a church, and we went through that process, but then the church seemed not as interested in going forward with it the same way that we thought it needed to go forward. So that's when we, my wife and I started a nonprofit um, called Eremos in which we started doing discipleship. So that's how that all started to happen. That's a little bit about me. I, as you asked about myself, I was thinking, I know you wanted to ask maybe about disciple making, but it's such a core part of who I am right now that I, I really don't even feel that there's a distinction. Yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Just from knowing you for as long as I've known you, it's all it's it's you're all about disciple making. So I I couldn't see how you could separate the two from so, your story. So Zach, I want to ask you a question. So you know, if we're going to talk about discipleship, right? I think that we need to really start with the foundation about why is discipleship important? What is it biblically that says that we should be doing discipleship? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Jesus himself says that we should be doing discipleship, and it's, in fact, the last thing he says to his friends before he leaves them after his death and resurrection uh, for their mission. In Matthew 18, uh, or excuse me, Matthew 28, verse 18, he says this, uh, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven and on earth, therefore... You go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given to you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as you read that, Zach, and that's such a powerful thing, right? The great, it's called the Great Commission. And, you know, Jesus gave, I think... Two times some very distinct uh, 
things about obedience, right? One was he gave us the great commandments, right? Which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gives us this uh, great commission, um, which is to go and make disciples. When you look at that, Matthew 28, what are some of the things, if you're going to look at some words in there, what are some of the words that or statements that sort of stick out in the Great Commission um, that, you know, as we really look at it, that sort of stick out to you? Well, I was um, doing a little bit of a study on this um, before we uh, before we were talking, and I read that it's interesting that the the only command is to go and make like there, there, mm. there, there's a couple of other things in there, a couple of other action verbs in there, but um, but really those are ways to do this. But the most foundational thing for disciples of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, is to go and make disciples. Um, so right off the bat, that's that's something that sticks out to me. Um, also the fact that Jesus starts out by saying, "I've been given all authority," mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then he ends it off with, um, "And know this, I'm with you always, even to the end." I mean, it's kind of he's kind of sandwiching the mission in between these two um, comforting truths that he's in control of all things, and he's not going to leave us alone. We don't have to we don't have to fumble around to figure out what this means or what it looks like. We have um, we have his example, and we have him with us making disciples. I mean, to me, that's kind of mind blowing to think that we're not just making disciples on our own person to person. We're also making disciples with Jesus, um, through the power of the spirit. Um, so it's a way to minister with Jesus though. We didn't get to walk with him. Like, like his friends did, like we are still walking with him. It just, whenever I think about that, it always, uh, it always blows my mind to think that we're still able to walk with Christ and carry on his ministry. And that's truly been one of the biggest struggles I find with when we start talking about discipleship with people is sort of a fear of how do I disciple, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that Jesus really addresses that, right? He says, all authority has been given to me. So he's really pointing it back to himself that he's going to equip us and he's going to help uh, do that. And it's through his authority that we disciple, which really, as you said, should be a comfort and, and allow us to understand that even if we don't feel that we're 100% there, <laughs> we can begin in our everyday to be a disciple to others. And so I think that that has been one of the biggest struggles, I think, with in our culture, especially with people discipling, is they feel like they have to know everything before they begin to disciple others. And I, and I think that as you and I both know in our own faith journey, I know I'm not there yet. So I certainly know that I don't know everything, but it doesn't mean that I still haven't been commanded by to go, as you said, to go and make disciples. And then I, the other thing I really like about that, what he says is, and I think this is the practical, right? When we get to the meat and bones, the practical side of it, he says, teach, mm. right? So there has to be some kind of foundational method to teach others how to disciple it. It, um, I don't think that we can just tell people from the pulpit, hey, you need to go out and evangelize or you need to go out and disciple others if we haven't actually spent time teaching them. And as people that care about the Great Commission, I think that's our responsibility to figure out how what are the best ways to teach people how to actually do this, how to do it at their workplace, how to do it within their families, how to do it within their communities. And that's where transformation is going to take place. But 
I think that even though, yes, we have that power, as I said before, from Christ, as we are making disciples, and we know that the spirit is what transforms, there are some practical aspects of how we teach. Um, and so I think that that's where you sort of have to have a foundational method of how do we make disciples and to teach other people how to do it so that they can teach others, right? Right. And then that other thing, obey all the commands. Now, that's an interesting component as well, is that discipleship is about obedience to Christ. So it's not just about learning the intellectual method. It's actually being transformed as a person who becomes an obedient follower of Christ uh, and is willing to turn over areas of their life saying that my life is not segmented. My life is integrated as an obedient follower of Christ, meaning that hmm, I guess I have to be responsible for the great commandments and I have to be responsible for the great commission. So I think that that's uh, another factor that is maybe glazed over a bit when we talk about the great commission, which also, again, makes people think that somehow maybe that they're not equipped to do it or that they're the ones that aren't responsible to do it. So was Jesus speaking only to religious leaders when he says go and make disciples? Is it only for people call it, say, theologian? I'm no theologian or I'm no seminary student or I'm no seminary professor. I don't know Hebrew or Greek. That's re- that's usually for the religious leaders, the pastor, the your priest or whatever. Was, was Jesus speaking only to them about making disciples? Well, you know that uh, obviously the reason that I – harassed you when I first met you was because I my philosophy was, well, people have to be religious leaders to make disciples. No, that's right. That's right. Actually, actually, the total opposite of that, right? I think that we have gotten caught up on that, right, of giving the responsibility to people that are within ministry, um, saying that, well, that's my pastor's responsibility. All I need to do is get someone to church. And 100%, it's good to bring people into the body and to introduce them to good preaching and a community of believers. But again, where's the personal responsibility of the Great Commission in that? Because I think he said, he told his disciples, I've been given all authority. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples. He didn't specify that it was just going to be those individuals, because then after Pentecost, right, there was a whole group of individuals that were spread all over the area, the region there, who were making disciples. So obviously we can we can know from scripture that it was not just specifically church people or specifically those first 12 disciples. So let's talk a little bit about how though through scripture this is sort of played out. And the word I want to talk about is priesthood because it's used multiple times in scripture, but again, it wasn't just dedicated it wasn't just meant for say the rabbis that were at the synagogue or within the Christian church um, are lead pastors or or people in your role, which is every other pastor but the lead pastor. So right. uh, I'm going to start with in Exodus, what, what is said there. It says, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So this was a message for that Jesus given, that God was given Moses. But God was given Moses about these Israelites, they need to be a royal priesthood. And that was in Exodus 19.6. But then in Isaiah 61.6, and you know, Isaiah was obviously during the uh, exile to Babylon. So this is, again, another group of individuals that would have been out there. He said, you will, you will be called priest of the Lord 
ministers of our God, you will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. So again, this call out about being priest of the Lord, this royal priesthood. But then I think 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, really, you know, the New Testament really sort of drives home this priesthood of all believers. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And so I think all of those verses, and then even more about Jesus when he's talking to his disciples and when he's sharing, just over and over, he's not passing the buck. It's not like, well, this is someone else's responsibility. He's he's very much about this is, as a follower of mine, this is a responsibility on your part, is that you have been chosen, so thus you are part of the royal priesthood, and the royal priest, they go out and they make disciples. And so that is your calling. And so I think that's that's really, I think, where it's very obvious that it was not just religious leaders that Jesus was speaking to. By the way, his conversations with religious leaders were not always going so great. So let's right. just be very clear there. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and actually, he says about the religious leaders, right, you cross an ocean, basically turn them into a son of Satan just like you. So it's, it's, it wasn't a very positive discipleship model he was talking about that they were doing. So. I just, uh, but for us as followers of Christ, we have been called to go and make disciples. So it's safe to say you believe that then, and you said this word before responsibility, you believe then that all Jesus followers have a responsibility to make disciples, not just a call, but a responsibility. I absolutely do. But I think there's a massive problem. I think that one of the things that has not really been done very well, at least in my experience. And uh, I mean, I obviously am open to the idea that others have had a better experience in this is that I wasn't taught. I was never taught. It actually wasn't any part of my spiritual formation or Christian formation to be taught how to disciple others by the church, honestly, or others. And I'm not saying that I was not discipled. I certainly was discipled, but I was not in a way that was intentional uh, long, spirit-driven, and one that I could replicate. Because I think that's sort of the key, is it has to multiply and replicate. And I don't think I was ever taught that way. So even if we even if we have been discipled, it's very possible that we don't know how to replicate it because it hasn't been intentional. And so I feel like the ball's really been dropped on that. And that was really part of the drive to begin this intentional disciple movement here in the States, and there's disciple movements all over the world that have been effective, but here in the States, it seems that the disciple movement is go to church. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we actually need to be able to be disciples so that it's not just at church, but in every aspect of our life, we are drawing people closer to Christ and being that example for them. Yeah, so um, what then is your philosophy on discipleship? Since you and your wife, Allison, have um, created this program, Aramos, what is your philosophy exactly on discipleship? Well, I think that I have to first say that discipleship is relational, Mm. that there is a relational component to discipleship. 
there is vulnerability that is required. There's an authentic, deep conversation. There's obviously scripture has to be a foundational component as well as prayer. Uh, where we got most of our ideas about what is discipleship or how does it how does it actually play out is in Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism. And that's actually something that you and I are going to be going over, right? The next several podcasts to sort of talk about his method of how do you make disciples. But that's really where it started for us uh, after the class. That was one of the books we read in the class. And then obviously it was foundational in uh, the development of this discipleship process. But I also think that it has to, that you should be discipled before you go and make disciples. Now, of course, that requires that someone has been discipled. And I'm so grateful that I was discipled in this intentional method so that I could then disciple, say, someone like you and Cassie, and now you can disciple others. But I think there's a component of that that's critical as well, because there are so many great resources out there on discipleship. And honestly, I know that I read so many of them to try to draw into how to be more effective in discipleship, but they're that their books. And I think that we can get caught up on just reading a book, either thinking there's a few technical methods, but we're not actually being transformed ourselves to disciple others. While when we're being discipled, we're allowing time for the Holy Spirit to work within us. We're having somebody that's walking beside us and we're growing in confidence on how do we actually go out and make disciples. So I think that relational discipleship is critical. I think small groups, not overly large groups, I think a replicatable process. I think that um, we can't just use books because we can't make it just intellectual. It has to be a transformation of the heart. And although there are some great resources, which I would recommend to everybody in regards to like Mike Breen and Jim Putman and those guys and what they have done for disciple making. I think you can't be get passionate about it if you're just sitting down and reading a book. Now, obviously use these books. We're going to be talking about a lot of books on this podcast. So obviously use these books for practical methods, but it's already when you have a foundation of what it means to be a disciple. So that's sort of my statement on, that's my philosophy on discipleship for me. Yeah. Can you give us uh, today three practical things we can do like right now um, as we begin to be everyday disciples that are on mission, this mission that Jesus gave us, this great commission? Absolutely. I think that obviously I would desire <laughs> that people go through an intentional disciple making process. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about today, what are some of the things that we can begin to do? I would say, number one, regularly be in God's word. And I'm not talking about it as in just trying to uh, understand as in a way of like intellectually understanding what's going on in the scriptures. But actually, how does it apply to you? So being in God's word in a way in which you're reading it and you're really asking yourself two questions. What is God saying to me and through this, through his word, right? And allowing the spirit time to interact with you in that. And then what am I going to do about it? Because faith in the uh, New Testament, when they talk about faith, it was always in action. It wasn't right. our belief was always in action. It was not just like I believe in my head, but I'm not going to do anything about it. It was if you say you believe something. You're going to be living it out. So I think that that's a great way to start looking at Scripture. So that's a really great thing you can start doing today, um, starting in maybe some of the Gospels. I think another thing that I've really been learning this myself, because I'll just be honest, I'm not so great naturally at this. 
and Zach's probably laughing as I'm going to share this, but I'm not so great naturally at this, but I have found this has actually been a really big part of my spiritual growth and transformation in this process. And that is listening well to others around you. And I'm not just talking about people that you're intentionally discipling. I'm talking about every person you come in contact, allowing space for them to share about who they are, about what's bothering them and being open to that. You know, I think that we get so caught up in conversations talking about ourselves that we don't listen to others. So if you become one of those people that literally doesn't have to share every detail about your own life with someone else in a conversation, especially an initial conversation, and you just allow them the space to speak and open and share, I think you'll find that there are great opportunities to speak truth then when you do speak into their life, because you're going to you're going to be hearing the things that they struggle with. And if you have been in the word, right, if you become you're, if you're becoming biblically fluent, you're going to know a way to speak to them that's going to reflect Christ. So I think that's a really another good thing. And that doesn't require any real training. It just requires you to hold your tongue. So uh, listen well to others around you. <laughs> Zach's laughing because he knows again, I, he knows I could talk. So listening is a skill that I'm having to grow in. Um, my wife can certainly tell you that, that that is not one of my uh, fruit of the spirit. I, but I also remind her, I don't see it listed in the fruit of the spirit. So, so, right. Cause I'm like, I don't see that listed, but no, it is a really good way to begin to uh, have empathy for people and to really hear where they're at. And then the third thing I want to say is live that lifestyle, right? So in whatever you're doing, live that lifestyle that radiates the fruit of the spirit. So love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, you know, all the fruit of the spirit, live that lifestyle. And then as other people are witnessing that, as you are sitting and listening with them, as you are being in God's word and growing and asking, how can I apply this to my life? You're going to be able to be ready to answer that question about the hope that is within you. And so I know this is a bonus, but I would say think about your testimony and not just about your initial salvation testimony, but think about how God has been working in your life recently and have that ready to share with someone when they ask you what makes it different for you. So those are, I think, some practical things that we can begin to do right away and so that we can be that everyday disciple. So, Zach, we've talked about a few things today. What do you think? You know, we sort of talked about some of these things. Do you have anything to add to some of those things that I've been talking about? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, and I'm sure our listeners would as well. We have listeners? We will. Oh, okay. That's, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah, thanks. it's just us right now, but we will. <laughs> um, yeah, so just I think I can attest to the fact that uh, um, in in the intentionality – that you bring um, in in Kaleo, the intentionality that you emphasize. Um, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but for me, when we were first talking, like that was the that was the most exciting part at that time was someone who was willing to just um, listen and talk to me and find out where I was, what I was doing. I mean, you even said I want to, you know, I want we pastors. Who do they have to talk to and and even in 10 years of just doing, you know, some ministry, it's not that long compared to so many people. <laughs> it's 10 years, but um, but it does feel lonely. Um, 
and it's hard to know who can you share what with and then um but this model that you guys have developed and and um and have learned from others and have um brought all these things together to make discipleship um it was so it was just so heartening and uh, and it was uh, at a time when i just wasn't i wasn't sure what to do next i wasn't sure where to go i just felt stuck in ministry and so then I know for me, this is the kind of thing I want to do. Um, I want to be someone who can, who other people can, can talk to and not feel like they're not heard or like I'm just trying to push what I think on them or say, you know, well, you should just feel this way about Jesus or you should think this way about Jesus all the time. But just like meet people, and I know you've we've talked about this before, meet people where they are, and then um, let the Spirit do the work as we um, intentionally point people to Jesus and challenge people to to follow him like that that's that's what I want to be about and I and this um, your philosophy that you're talking about master plan of evangelism that we're going to be talking about um, those three tips like it all um, you can start doing these things even now whether you are in church leadership or not it does not matter like anybody who you know that um, is just trying to struggle through this life like they need to hear from jesus and you can do these things you can ask them um when you read your bible what is god saying to you and what are you going to do about it like that Mm -hmm. is so like you can just have these conversations just i mean i've had a few of them before we even got officially started with our own groups um i was having a couple of these conversations with people in restaurant booths just sitting there saying just what and it was i could tell like that then they wanted to talk again because someone was intentionally listening and someone was intentionally speaking jesus's truth into their life not in a confrontational way but in a how can um <laughs> what is god saying to you in this moment now you're you're in a moment of crisis what's god saying to you now and what are you going to do about it? it just makes people like take ownership of their own discipleship and uh, whether they call it that or not, whether they know they're working on their own relationship with Jesus or not, that kind of, this kind of philosophy helps people um, take those steps and, uh, and you can kind of strip away all the church speak and then people aren't so afraid (laughs) of what's going on. They're more, uh, they're, uh, they're excited to, to figure out what God's doing in their life. So I don't know. That's um, that's what I was thinking. And that's how this is sort of played out, even um, not in a particular group, but just in co- everyday conversations with people, just being intentional and trying to disciple in this way. Um, so it is it's powerful. And it's something, again, you can do even if you don't have an official audience to minister to just minister to someone next to you in this way. It's 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 uh, it's powerful stuff. It really is. Well, I really appreciate one thing you said, because I think this is what we're going to be trying to accomplish here, right, Uh, as we do this podcast, is to help people know that they're part of a community Mm. of people that care about discipleship, but that they're not alone. You said that term loneliness. I think that that is such a, I know that's a big word, right, in pastoral leadership especially, but I know that in most people, their life uh, their faith life, there's a lot of loneliness in regards to do other people understand what I'm going through? Do other people experience the same things that I experienced? And discipleship is so community, right? So communal, mm-hmm. and it's so vulnerable that we get to actually be open and honest with others. And even for me, it's been so exciting to see you that as a church leader, right, that you're able to sit now 
with lay people that are in your congregation and be open and honest about where God has you, the successes and the failures, the areas of strength and weakness, and knowing that the what Kaleo does or what the discipleship model does is allows us to sit in spaces with other people. Yes, in that intentional way and be vulnerable and open and honest, but it's not like we just forget those skills when we go out in the world, as you said. It's actually like, no, you can begin to apply those things in the everyday. You can be open and vulnerable with people because it's it's at Romans 12, right? You're not ashamed. There's no shame in being, first of all, a follower of Christ. There's no shame in the fact that understanding that, yes, we're not perfect and that we have weaknesses and we have areas that God is still working within us. And But that we're able to be open and honest, and we, as, as we started this podcast with, that we don't have to be all the way there before we go out and begin to have those conversations, before we go out and have those opportunities to disciple others. So thank you for sharing that, Zach. I think you really brought it back to this concept of community, that yes, this is a podcast, but we're doing this podcast so that people that are desiring to be that everyday disciple have a resource, have a place to come where they know that some of the struggles that they're facing, that some of the successes, that methods and techniques, and that this community can exist uh, just so that they know that they're not alone. And I I really appreciate what you said about that because I think it resonates with a lot of people. So uh, what are we going to be talking about next week? So this has sort of been the intro podcast. Uh, We've been talking about ourselves, or at least I've been talking about myself a lot. Uh, But what are we going to be talking about next week? Uh, well, earlier you mentioned the uh, Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism book. We're going to start breaking down, I think, uh, chapter by chapter, idea mm-hmm. by idea. Um, and so next week we're going to recap the first chapter of the book, which talks about how you discern and select those who you should be discipling. Uh, and you start to bring together a group of people that you can uh, that you can pour into and that you can be poured into by. Wow, that's really, yeah, that's going to be exciting to do. And I'll tell you that um, I know that a lot of people don't like to read a lot. So this is, that's actually one of the things that God has really prompted on my heart is to really uh, do a lot of research and study. And Zach and I are going to be doing this. And we're going to be going through a lot of different kinds of, you know, people that understand about discipleship and have uh, shared about discipleship and be sharing different ways that they understood it. And I th- I'm excited about that because I think we're going to be growing and learning through this process, but we're also going to be able to be able to share with you guys on the podcast. We're also going to be, you know, having interviews sometimes with individuals who are uh, doing the discipleship in the everyday, right? Or people that are involved in different ministry aspects, which have began to pursue discipleship. So we're excited about that as well, so that you can start hearing from the everyday disciples. And yeah, we're just really excited to kick this off. And we look forward to seeing all of you next week. Bye. Bye.